0: Can everybody at this volume, can people in the back hear? Okay. Just um, wave if, if we start to get too quiet for you back there. Um, I'm very pleased to have with us today for uh, a, a kind of a different event from what we usually do. Uh, Michael McAllister, who is, um, if I can go through your whole, your whole CV here, a former comedian Um, A former actor, a monk, a teacher at Akalani's, and currently, as well as teaching uh, psychology at Akalani's, is a spiritual teacher. Um, And he, if you can go to uh, his website, which is infinitesmile.org, is that right, .org? It's a wonderful um, website that has a lot of resources, um, podcasts of Michael's. You can really get lost um, spending time there, and you'll you'll really get a lot out of it. So, uh, about his book, I'll say first that um, I just loved it. I don't know how many of you have read it, but um, if you do one thing from this book every day, I would say you're going to have a life that's um, more satisfying and would probably have a a positive effect on the people around you. So, just to talk a little bit about format for tonight... um, I'm going to throw some questions at Michael. Um, he's going to take uh, questions from the audience, and, and we'll make sure that we leave plenty of time for that. Um, and then we are selling books, if you didn't get to buy one already, through Lafayette Bookstore, who is donating 20% um, of their proceeds to the new library. And Michael's going to sign. Is that, right? Do you have, you have time to do that? Sure, sure. To sign yeah. books. So, um so the, I guess the first question I would have for you, just so we can get an idea of who you are, is to talk about your journey um, that brought you to the point where you could write a book like this and the journey of the book itself.
1: In how many words or less? <laughs> just kind of a, just, just <laughs> the Reader's the, Digest version. Here, yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just do this. Let the music start playing when I talk too much. Uh, <laughs> I think it it, it was so interesting is before we sat down, I was walking in the back there. Some of you may know that I grew up in this community. And uh, the Lafayette Library was kind of a hub for me as as a young child. My mom and dad were really, they did such a good job of making sure that uh, literacy was something that was valued. And we spent a lot of time here at the library. Um, I got kicked out of the library when I was in eighth grade, but we'll go into that later. (laughs) Anyway, I was, uh, it was for flirting The the librarian actually said that with
0: the librarian. With the
1: librarian, (laughs) yes. She was was hot. Uh, Oof. Um, Yeah, aren't they? Aren't they?
2: Yeah. Uh, I was in the
1: uh, I was in the kids section. My favorite book was Where the Wild Things Are, and the point at which Max. stares down the wild things without blinking. And he was seen as being the wildest thing of all. That to me resonated as as a very, very young child as being something of tremendous power. How is it that we could actually stare at the things that scare us without flinching? And oddly enough, that's at the core of of much of uh, the, the spiritual, te- deep, the deepest parts of spiritual teaching, regardless of tradition, they all kind of go into that space. Can you actually be really still? Can you face it all and not avoid anything? So for me, that's kind of where things started. Um, I was really taken with that. I, of course, was also taken with uh, David Carradine on Kung Fu. I don't know if any of you remember that show, but man, just this guy was such a, just stud you know he could with with silence and calm he could uh just destroy a group of bad guys I always thought that was kind of cool um I had a a a very loud mouth though so that was not it wasn't an archetype that I could really go after uh I to be quite honest uh I I was at uh, Lafayette Arinda Presbyterian Church and I, I really actually quite liked the minister but I didn't like the Sunday school teacher I write about this in the in the book. I don't even remember her name, but we were talking about how critical it was. She was saying how critical it was for you to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and if you don't, then you're not going to heaven. And my immediate question was, well, what about my, my Jewish... Uh, and I, I had an, a Muslim friend as well. I said, what about my Jewish and, and Muslim friends? And she said, sorry. And I was kind of like... I'm not coming back, and my parents are like, "Oh, devil child," you know. Uh, uh, but as as we talked about it, it became very clear that that spirituality was what was important, as opposed to church. And this really was at the impulse of the book. Uh, so many people that I speak with today seem to find that the religion of their childhood is something that is no longer applicable. And so their choices are either they fit into something that doesn't quite feel right, or they have nothing at all. And so I argue in the book that there is actually a way of deepening that spirituality regardless of your tradition or non-tradition. Atheists, Christians, Hindus, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, all of them, all of them can, I think, really uncover a way of awakening, so to speak, in this life. And... uh, so it kind of went from there. I mean, I guess I, guess the, I went off to college. I, I loved my time at Berkeley. Um, I drank a lot of beer and chased a lot of skirts. And it was at some point I just realized that no matter what else I added, uh, there was something missing. And so this spiritual journey kind of came from that. I, I was busy flinching the whole time. I was busy moving to this, to that, to that, instead of actually becoming the wildest thing of all and not moving, and that's, that was really at the impulse of, uh, uh, or, or, is the, that's, that's where things kind of took off when I finally decided to kind of, to take some advice and sit still.
0: And, um, so what was it like to, I assume you were pretty young when you entered the monastery that you entered, right? Uh, I mean, early 20s?
1: When I started, yeah, when I started, uh, actually sitting seriously, I guess I was 23 years old, and, um... So that was that's it you know, 21 years ago.
0: So was that difficult too? I mean the traditionally what kids are doing at that young adults are doing at that time finding jobs um, finding you know spouses was it hard to unfold? I thought her I was going to find a Buddhist way?
1: spouse was what yeah. I, I was <laughs>
0: That's what you were doing. <laughs>
1: yeah. I uh, to be honest I uh, I didn't I mean, I, didn't, I entered the monastery, so to speak, just as a, just as a weekend practitioner at that point. Okay. And it was so interesting, especially because I, uh, I just didn't see that it could ever really work for me. I was busy attaching and clinging to, you know, this goal, this goal, this goal. I didn't see how, when the teaching was really about letting go, not flinching, letting go. And my whole life had been predicated on going after so trying to reconcile that was, was incredibly difficult, which is why I didn't actually enter into the monastery as a, you know, as a monk until uh, some 10 years uh, okay. after that. Okay. Uh, so it was just kind of a, the weekend dabble thing, so to speak. And, then, okay. and then, it, then I got much more serious about it the deeper I got. I realized I couldn't, I, couldn't go, I couldn't go back. I'd gone so far down the path that turning back was not an option, and so I had to kind of keep going and... Played out for all it was worth.
0: Right. Um, So let's talk a little bit about about letting go because Mm -hmm. um, I was telling you how in this book, let the notion of letting go is quite different in here from what I thought it was.
1: Tell me about that, Uh, actually. So,
0: so I thought to let go means to just let it all run off your back and Uh, and if you have fears, just don't think about them. And that that's that's what that that sounds like. It's hanging on.
1: That's hanging on, isn't it?
0: It is hanging on. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so.
1: Yes. in other words and, and I'm sorry to interrupt you but but what everyone that uh, your 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 question is so common because the idea of letting go especially in you know this type of an area in the La Morinda area letting go means push it away don't think about it and that in essence is quite seriously hanging on to something other than what is mm-hmm. You're still hanging on, right? right? Yeah. And so the letting go is allowing then for whatever is arising, whatever is coming up in your awareness, whatever is going on, to actually be there fully, and then become the wildest thing of all, right. and that don't move, be right there with it, and then a very natural, spontaneous, loving response can show up, and that loving response sometimes can sound like, you know, a, a very fierce no. Uh, a loving response, for instance, uh, that I just heard from—this was just yesterday—from my wife, uh, as uh, my daughter Cade decided to. She got out of our car and decided to kind of go into the parking lot, you know, running free. And you know, I mean, I'm sure many of the people in this this room have experienced that. Y- you want to hear Mama Bear? No, you know, type of thing, <laughs> which actually is a good impersonation of my wife's voice. Um, uh, she, she just said, you know, no. And it, it was from a place of total love. It was a totally, what we call an appropriate response. And an appropriate response is one that comes from, comes from, comes from openness. Um, letting go does not mean, oh, well, it's dangerous, no big deal. It's a huge deal. Respond from that place of, of love, but let it be open. Right.
0: So let's, let's talk about... Um, what you hoped people would get out of the book um is this a book about i mean is the goal to to meditate or is it is it more than that when you talk about what uh what what you want everyone who reads the book to get out of it
1: well i think what i did what i tried to do is create a map essentially i mean I, i think that the spiritual journey um you can read for instance uh uh... saint john of the cross you can read you know even about christ you can read about you know any of the any of the mystics or saints contemporary or ancient and they all seem to go through this very very similar path which is there's this climb and then there's this summit where they experience this tremendous opening and then the reintegration of that summiting into back into life then becomes the real the real heavy lifting um... And so I, I think what I wanted to do was kind of map the way it, I, see it, I see it working. And I, I gave myself a little distance. I wrote the book in six weeks, and I, it took me five years to edit. And I was really actually quite glad that, that it, it worked out that way, because in the edit, I was able to take into account various people that I work with uh, at, at Infinite Smile. And I could see kind of how how they were traversing and and working with their their mountain, so to speak. And it seemed to all fit. It was all very, very, very consistent. Um, We get on this journey. We get on this path. And we spend a tremendous amount of time talking about the particular path. And that usually is a tradition. You know, the, the Christian path or the Buddhist path or the Jewish path, whatever it might be. And we're still going up a mountain all of us. And so the book then hopefully allows for there to be enough space created that people can start seeing the mountain in addition to the path. Right. And once that happens, I think I think there's a tremendous a tremendous opportunity for, for spiritual seekers to become spiritual finders.
0: Well, and uh, and the path is not straight. No. You know, when, one of the things that I liked <laughs> best about this book is all of your anecdotes about these really amazing conclusions that you came to when you didn't expect to. Yeah. Whether it was going to a um, meditation weekend where everyone was bugging the heck out of you. Mm-hmm. And, and you really learned from that.
1: Yeah, you, you start recognizing the higher you get on the mountain, so to speak, um, the, you, you realize a couple of things. Number one, um, there's always something. You know, there's always something that the universe is going to throw your direction that is exactly what you need to take the next step the second thing you learn is you're never done this is not something you, you, you are never fully awakened it's uh, at least the way, the way I see it uh, uh, whatever you want to call it uh, uh, awakening or enlightenment or whatever it, it is a moment to moment experience and uh, we begin to uh, slowly but surely, pour these little cups of of uh, water, Dharma rain. I sometimes call it. We pour these little cups one after another, and pretty soon we're sopping. But it's it's we're constantly adding. We're constantly working on this in a moment-to-moment uh, experience of life. So I, I, I think that it's it, everything becomes your teacher. Everything becomes your teacher in those moments when, you, when you can kind of be open to what is, as opposed to at war, being at war with what is, um, and that that war comes from uh, being. It actually comes from certitude. I guess that's the best, That's the word that keeps coming up for me right now. It's,
0: Meaning, uh, the that m- you're certain of something. The,
1: the more certain, certain we are, the more certain we are of things, the more we cling. I am sure of this, right? Mm-hmm. And the the tighter we grip, the more there is this generation of of suffering. Now, so this goes back to your question about the letting go. The letting go is just loosen your grip a little bit. And it's very hard for people to do when they're habitually used to doing this. You guys remember that trick? You know, when you're a little kid, you're, you hold on to something, and then you try to let go and open your hand. It's very difficult. That's exactly where most of us are, uh, psycho-spiritually. we you know, we're always hanging on. And when we can give everything a little bit of space, and that pretty much is what spiritual teaching is, is about just generating, you know, creating space internally and externally, uh, all sorts of really beautiful things begin to kind of open up. And that's, that's actually where love comes into this whole mix. I mean, love is that, is that deep, deep, powerful surrender. And that can come through us quite naturally.
0: Right. Well, I think we're used to, we're used to reading books that are guides for answers. Yeah. And my, my personal journey with this book was that I bought it, and I lost it, and then I bought it again, and I it. See, we love it. hearing that.
1: If every one of you could do that. Yeah.
0: And then I found it, and then I dropped it in a huge puddle of water, and oh, then nice. I read for an hour and a half with a blow dryer. And so I took this as the universe's way oh, of neat. saying to me um, that it's not supposed to be easy. Judy,
1: can we make sure we get her another one? Yeah. Actually, no, this I, has a I lot of character, like actually. It sure yeah. Does. Yeah, yeah, no, I,
0: I like that about it. Um, but it's not, it's, not, it's not easy. This stuff in here is not easy. Yeah. It's kind of the opposite of what, what I want to do.
1: Right, which is, and what the I wants to do, in, in other words, every one of us in here has a sense of I, right? And the I wants things pleasurable and easy. And the minute we get to that space that is beyond the I, okay, we start opening up a whole new series of uh, all sorts of options start showing up. And so uh, while I, I totally, I understand, yeah, this is not, this is, this is not light reading. I, I, I find that actually it's probably most helpful <laughs> for those of you that haven't started it. Sometimes I think it might just be easiest to open to a page, you know? And then, you know, just see, see what it has to say. I mean, there is a very definite narrative to this. But the narrative, um, uh, Casey, it's, it, quite honestly, it's, it's, it's the hero's journey that every one of us has gone through or is going through. But it's put in a way to literally turn the heat up on whatever journey we're, we're on. Right. And most of us don't want to do that. Um, uh, I heard this great this great line from some teacher i can't can't remember who it was but enlightenment is not what you think it is because that which is thinking is exactly what gets in the way of the awakening okay Mm -hmm. so what we do once again is we create distance and this is about creating distance from the thing that always wants to have control so it's basically like telling the bus driver of our consciousness um you can go sit down now and it's but but the bus will crash if i'm not here you know, it's, it's, it is, it's, it's tremendous, uh, it's tremendously difficult work, but it's not nearly as hard as hanging on mm-hmm. to all the stuff that we've been hanging on to.
0: And what, what do we begin with? Do we begin with meditation or do we begin with acknowledging certain things and then trying to meditate? What, how we answer think, that? I
1: think, I actually think meditation ultimately is the acknowledging, it's the acknowledgement of where mm-hmm. we actually are. So most people show up to Infinite Smile, for instance, and they want to they learn how to meditate. Uh, they want to learn how to calm down. They want to learn how to you know, do all this so they can, they can turn it into a thing. And that's really appropriate initially. But what happens is the, the more we start to uh, kind of uncover this natural existence of silence, this, we begin to actually explore the space between our thoughts. Some of you may have you know, experienced this. You know, just the space between our thoughts, there's this openness that shows up. And that's true meditation. True meditation is being able to rest in that space between our thoughts. Okay? So, so to start, uh, we, I, I think having a really good uh, uh, meditation practice uh, is, is, helped, is helped out by a couple of things. First of all, it's really good to get a teacher. Uh, this was This was absolutely uh, the most helpful thing to me. I tried to do it on my own a great deal, and I found that to be um, uh, I found it to be hard and When you have somebody that 's kind of keeping you on the path, who themselves is on the path you know when as long as they're on the path and they 're kind of backing up, I sometimes say they 're backing up and they 're kind of keeping you on the right you know where you should be. <laughs> You've got a teaching, and I think traditions are really helpful, uh, you know, whether it's contemplative Christianity, uh, whether it's um, you know, the, uh, the, the mystical aspects of Islam, you know, Sufism. By the way, if you haven't ever read any of uh, Rumi, get busy. He's, he's awesome. He's really quite amazing. Um, uh, start, start reading. Start, uh, you know, get this teacher, get this teaching, and then get a group of spiritual friends, because none of this really works as well as it can uh, how do I want to say this? The moment you actually have peers that are on this path with you is the moment you've just created yet another shortcut. So teacher, teaching, and then group are all shortcuts. Uh, and in that process, when we, when we begin meditating, when we begin to kind of still our minds, we begin to still our bodies, we start to be able to turn our day-to-day, every aspect of our day, into a meditation driving the car to get here can be a meditation. You know, it's where you actually begin just watching your experience from a place that is not judging, from a place that is totally aware, from a place that is totally engaged. And while that may sound totally impossible, um, it's, it's absolutely doable. It's absolutely doable.
0: Well, and I think, uh, I think it's doable if we change... Um Everybody's so busy, and and it requires really changing the way you operate on a daily basis. Um, I was taking my dog for a walk um, up in the Burton Valley upper fields, which is just spectacular, and I pulled out my cell phone the second that I got there because as a mom of young kids, you know, I I need to connect. I need Mm -hmm. to, you know, and I'm cramming, cramming, cramming (laughs) all of this into these small, I guess, into the spaces where I should be doing nothing.
1: Right. And if,
0: I, I don't think I'm alone. Oh,
1: I don't think you yeah. are either. Am
0: I alone? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think I that's really... I, I, you know, there, there, there are a couple ways of taking a walk up... Uh, no matter where you are. There are a couple ways of taking a walk. One is to take a walk so that you can get stuff done. And the other way of taking a walk is to take a walk. Right. And that's really hard. In other words... Taking a walk where you can appreciate each step, each breath, each sound, each bit of rain, or each, you know, bit of sunshine. That's, that's living fully. That's, that's, that's being awake in this life when we can, when we can do that. And, and then when we can carry that into, uh, you know, the, the kiss that we give our spouse or, or our kids. Or we, we create a little bit of space between, uh, you know, the, the person who's in front of us in line that's taking just too damn long. And we can recognize that they're coming at this world from a place, they're doing the best they can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's an opening of our heart and an opening of our mind, and we're in a, it's just, it's a lot easier.
0: Right. Yeah. So um, so now you're a teacher. Uh, I don't know how, I don't know if you would still call yourself a student, but how, how did you know that you came to a place where you were ready to become a teacher and not a student?
1: Um, I don't think, just to, to, this is going to sound like I'm nitpicking, but I don't think a teacher that considers himself or herself, uh, that doesn't, con- if you're not a student, you can't be a teacher. You, can-
2: <laughs>
1: you, just, you just can't be. I, I don't think, um, I, I've met a lot of people that radiate a certain energetic fire, um, some of them have, you know have been in very far off lands uh, this one one guy in Nepal was you know i mean he just was so full of being it was it was so beautiful just to be in his presence, but he still wasn 't fully cooked you know what i mean yeah he still he still had to you know live in the world he had to you know. Eat his, you know, drink his tea in the morning, and to brush his teeth. All, all this stuff, we have this idea that, that, you know, being awake in this life is something way, other than what it actually is. Um, and I think that one of the cool things about the best teachers I've ever had is that they were really clear about the fact that they, they were still students. Mm-hmm. I, I just um, otherwise, the ego. Begins to assume the role. The ego begins to think it's awake, and that's that's exactly where we uh, where we really get messed up.
0: Right. So, uh, as a teacher of high school students, um, how does how does your practice <laughs> impact? Obviously, it helps. You,
1: you probably right. should ask the students.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: He marked me tardy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Uh, do, you,
0: do you try to? do you try to inform them about any of this, any of your spiritual work or?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, they they ask a lot of questions. They're interested. Yeah. In fact, we just did this unit on consciousness. um, And so they read, they read a chapter of the book. And I got to tell you, what was so amazing is I I had the kids, they they read this, this, this one particular chapter and then they were to um, write down questions and, and submit the questions and, The questions that the kids asked were as good as anything I've ever heard from any grown-up. I mean, these these kids were absolutely, I could not believe how in touch they were. Um, That said, they can go from that space of being totally present with, you know, a, a, a bit of writing or with a topic. They can go from that into... Most childish, inane, bizarre behavior you've ever seen. So, so they are really on this this pendulum, this swing. I mean, they're at the high tide of ego on the one hand, and they're absolutely idea oriented. They're filled with wonder on the other. So it's it's really fun for me. Um, uh, I have no interest in converting any. I mean, I, I have, th- this isn't about conversion. It's about no, living living, living I deeply. I,
0: I meant more. It- a lot of the practice that's in here would be really valuable to an adolescent because yeah. it's really stressful, especially today's adolescents yes. face a lot of stress and um, college applications alone. Mm-hmm. I would just think that they could get a lot out of right. this.
1: Right. Right. I think um, I'm doing my best, yeah. and I don't know. Uh, I, I I don't know if I'm. It's so interesting. I can teach. I feel like I can teach teenagers a subject. Um, but when it comes to this stuff, I feel like I fail. I really do. Uh, and maybe I'm, I'm not trying to sound like I'm just being hard on myself. I, I think that, that I, the best way for me, the reason why I think it's so good that I'm in a classroom is because it forces me to walk my talk. It's one thing for me to sit in front of people on my cushion in full lotus and, oh, you know, that, that thing, and then, you know, wait, say that again, you know, type thing. That's all, that's all fine and dandy, but when I actually have to walk into the classroom and I have to deal legitimately with a kid who's screwing around or with a, a kid who's re- repeatedly tardy or something like that, that's really where the practice hits the road, and that's why I didn't ordain. I, I think the most important thing actually is for this teaching that's been around you know, for 3,500 years uh, in some way, shape, or form. I think it's, it's utterly critical that it comes back off the mountain into the world and uh, so it 's a kind of a crazy experiment <laughs> I don't i don 't know if it 's working. I mean I know that I, I love my students, and every day that I wake up, uh, it usually hits me like when i 'm shaving or something i 'm like, oh, "Man, today we get to go over you know whatever i mean i I, I really love what i 'm doing um, uh, uh, so maybe that that spills over, but as far as uh, and, and you know after Meditating for so long, I would like to think there's a little bit of calm that exudes, or a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of kindness that maybe I didn't have uh, 20 years ago that shows up. But it's, I think you probably should talk, <laughs> talk, to yeah. okay. talk to my students. Um, yeah, talk to my wife. Actually, she's the one you really want to talk to. Yeah. See if.
0: And when your daughter's a little older,
1: that's going to be a can talk. Right? Yeah, I, I'm. I, I really think I may end up getting a shotgun. I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, Buddhist with a shotgun. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, there again, I mean, with, with a, with a one-and-a-half-year-old kid, you talk about, it forces presence. You, you know this, uh, for those of you that uh, have had uh, children you know, that you've been deeply connected to. Um, one, of the, one of the big questions that, that people always throw my way is like, okay, now that you have a kid, <laughs> now talk to me about attachment. And it's, quite honestly, having this child forces non-attachment, Think about it. I mean, how many of you in here have really spent a tremendous amount of energy squashing the kid, keeping them small? None of us wants to do that. In fact, what we want to do is we want our kids to open to all that is. And so what I have found is that Cade has really, really, you know, forced that issue. Um, uh, When she's crying, like this this last night, she was crying at 3.30 in the morning. And you know what? You get up. There's no, you, you have to be in that moment right. fully. You know, you don't, you don't have a choice. Right. Or, or well, technically, I guess you do, but that's called bad parenting. You know, and <laughs> somebody's going to call CPS on you. I think that it, you, the love, the love is so strong, you know. And, uh, and I'm fortunate that I also am married to my best friend, you know, and the same type of thing begins to kind of become this celebration always. Yeah. That doesn't mean that. You know, Allie and I don't have disagreements, or Kate and I don't have disagreements.
2: Right.
1: Uh, Kate always wins those arguments, but uh, <laughs> actually so does Allie. But.
0: So um, your book is in Barnes & Noble. Uh,
1: you know what? I, I think I think it's on its way there. Oh, I thought I, I, I saw it. Did you? We'll see. I
0: think I might have seen it there. That's awesome. Um, and, of course, you're at Lafayette Bookstore and probably some other local... Um, are you getting it further out there? Are you you expanding the reach?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's really cool. Amazon is an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because what, what it's allowed, allowed us to do is... Um, uh, infinite smile. Actually, the, the proceeds from this book actually go to Infinite Smile. And so what Infinite Smile has, as an organization has kind of done is they've kind of just thrown a very, very wide net. Uh, we were able to publish it ourselves um we we're able to you know use this obviously as a fundraiser um we've got we've got buyers from all over the world uh and it's it corresponded quite literally with the, with the podcast as well the podcast has kind of gone gone global um and there's a blog actually awaken this life also that I do each day uh that so it's it's just technology is just fascinating it's just fascinating because it's created this again this offering has become even even bigger
0: And it's really entertaining. Yeah, I saw the one on Tommy Lee Jones today.
1: Oh, Tommy! uh, Tommy,
0: isn't that his name? Tommy Lee. Who's
1: Who's the guy that married Pamela Anderson. Pamela
0: Anderson. Anderson. Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. Lee. Right. Tommy Lee. I liked that one. Karen Mulvaney is very
1: hip. She clearly knows
0: Tommy Lee. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: Was it Linda? Oh, Linda. Nice.
0: But he's a Buddhist. He's
1: a Buddhist. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, but so I, I like making comments on you know stuff like that and uh, uh, in the, on the blog.
0: No, it's a lot. It is. It's and a the, lot of fun and it's, okay. it's good. I didn't mean that in a flip way at all. Oh no, it really, no, that's great. So um, I promised that I would have uh, we'd have time for questions. So why don't we do that and we can come back to mine if, if there aren't any. But anyone have questions for Michael?
2: Yes, sir. Uh, as you well know, Mike, uh, this is. Uh, Competitive uh, community in which we live, and it's the SAT scores, and uh, or some the size of the house and the car they drive. It's, it's my thought that we're more receptive of what you're what you're saying as we get older and we've gone through our whatever we've gone through. Right. Would you agree that if anything else? One's life, uh, knowledge, travails, and such makes it easier to accept what you're, or to go down the path that you've
1: gone down? I think so. I absolutely think so. As a matter of fact, I I think that um, perhaps the best uh, fuel for this whole experience for me was the fact that um, I couldn't control everything. Um, i had experienced, uh, you know, tragedy. I'd experienced breakup. I'd experienced, and all in a fairly short amount of time, because prior to, prior to you know, the, the divine disaster that life brings us, I had gone through success after success after success after success. There's no reason for a very, very successful person to ever go through any type of spiritual work, if you think about it. Because a very, very successful person is living uh, under the Under the umbrella of an egoic existence that 's working fine for them i don 't have any problem with that. I think that 's marvelous. However, the universe tends to throw curveballs, and there will come a time despite the fact that everything has gone perfectly when suddenly the waters begin to rage, and we, we don 't have the skills necessary to navigate that that stream that 's turned into this you know, uh, uh, raging torrent. Um, that was the way it worked for me. And it's the way I've seen it work for others. I think you're absolutely right, though, that when you've been able to experience life, when you've been able to uh, you know, take some hits, that's when you start asking questions. You know? And it's in the questioning that we begin to open. If you think about it, there's a huge difference between I know this to be true and I wonder if this is still true. And in the wonder if it's still true, that's when everything kind of op- That's when everything's available. Um, so uh, depending on the on the individual, depending on when they uh, decide that they're they're ready to actually ask some deeper questions, um, I think I think the offering is always always there. And I hope the book actually can help you know people who are finding that that ache uh, to you know. I'm hoping it can help them kind of at least you know if the, if, if this isn't their way of going about things, at least it can push him into a certain direction where that uh, that kind of uh, tender surrender begins to kind of happen, you know, where there's just an, an opening to, uh, I mean, we are really lucky. No matter what our stock portfolio is holding today, we are really lucky. <laughs>
2: yes? I'm kind of um, intrigued the various parts of your character and how they all kind of fit together. Right? <laughs> Some took your class out Uh-oh. And I have a lot of so
1: now you wonderful can... <laughs> things written
2: by him that were caused by you. Oh, thank I you. I treasure very much. Mm. You know, like, talk about a situation where you were in conflict with somebody and what do you think their perspective was? And he wrote about being in conflict with me, You know, mm-hmm. which is a wonderful thing to have. But... I'm, I'm, I sort of have this image of you as this kind of cosmic, hippy-dippy guy. And I'm do you have any pot? <laughs> <laughs> I'm recalling your syllabus mm-hmm. for your side class, which I could have written, mm-hmm. which said, do not turn anything into me that's crumpled, that has typos, because this is your job. And in the world, people at their jobs can't turn stuff in that looks like crap. Right. It needs to be perfect. It needs to be like this. And if I say it's like this, it's like this. And it was very kind of rule follower. Right. A uh, real Lafayette world kind of thing. And I'm just I'm wondering how
1: you're all those how, how do we? How, do, how does that knit it together? Yeah. When, I, when I first set foot in the monastery, um, I got my proverbial ass kicked. Um. The the response from the teacher was, follow the schedule or leave. And I'm like, who are you to tell me this is what I'm thinking at least, you know, who are you to tell me, Slappy? You know, Baldy? You know, <laughs> who do you think you are? I have a degree from Berkeley, you know. All the ego started just kind of going crazy, right? And what was so marvelous about this particular teaching was if we actually get ourselves cornered like that, where we can't move, all sorts of stuff starts happening. Really interesting stuff. So despite the fact it may have, I mean it was, it was very intentional. I, my, first, uh, my first two weeks in the classroom are very much about it needs to be done this way in order for it to be uh, you know, accepted or, or graded or whatever. And I use that uh, it, it allows for the kids to test where they are willing to step up and not every kid works well in that environment. I, and I think that as the year progresses, it's much much easier for me to, to kind of uh, be able to individuate the uh, you know the academic experience. And the same holds true for uh, you know members of Infinite Smile. Every every single person is is dealt with differently when it comes to you know how do we let the the teaching how how can how can the teaching best support them. Having said that, uh, and this kind of goes back to the previous question, competition I think is absolutely marvelous. I think competition is marvelous. Uh, Especially when it's for competition's sake and not for winning. When it's about winning, then it's about sticking feathers in the cap, uh, adding another ribbon to the wall or pinning another medal on our chest. But what we really can do with competition is we we can learn to lose. And losing is another way of letting go. And if we can still be whole, even though we have lost someone we love, a game, something that's important to us, an argument, if we can, if we can still not flinch in that, in that space, guess what? We're coming at life from a wholly different place. And it's a lot easier. There's, there's more room to giggle there. Cosmically. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Is a a think or process that you could do for ten minutes a day? What that will be?
1: Watch your thoughts.
2: Just watch it for ten minutes.
1: hmm And then, when you're really good at that, watch your feelings, physical. And then, when you're really good at that, watch your emotions. Because you'll find that your emotions are essentially your mind meeting your body, or your thoughts meeting your physical body. And when you're in that space, you then develop this disidentification with your thoughts, this disidentification with your body. Your thoughts, your mind, and your body are still there, but you're no longer hooked by them. And that that spaciousness that arises there actually allows us to move in the world with a great deal of freedom.
2: Sorry for a follow up question,
1: but uh, uh, 10 minutes will be enough or a different time? Um, Well, uh, it was once said, Rachmaninoff, I think this quote's attributed to him, how long did it take for you to learn how to play like that? And he said, as long as it takes every other virtuoso, 10,000 hours. So there's something, something happens. You can do it for 10 minutes. But a day, but ultimately you want to hit that 10,000 hour mark so maybe just go for 30 minutes um, uh, I, I'm teasing with the 10,000 hours That's the, he, he, I think that ultimately what this is about is just developing a daily practice of stillness where you can not flinch when you can become the wildest thing of all you know, those monsters no longer move or scare you you know, they just are, they're just thoughts it's all mind if you can watch your mind, what is it that's watching the mind? Freedom. Your freedom. My freedom. So it's a, and not to get too trippy or hippie about that, uh, it, but it's, it's a very, very natural, very, very natural process that can be taught.
0: For, for practical purposes, yeah. to, to, to watch your thoughts, does that mean to just acknowledge them as they come and then just... Let them go. And then let them go, not judge them.
1: Right. Just, it's just like a... That
0: was a thought. That was a thought.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And one of the ways you can do it also is you can recognize that every single thing that goes through your mind is either a memory, a judgment, or a plan. Okay? So as you begin to look at your mind, uh, you know, watch your thoughts, so to speak, know that it'll occupy one of those spaces. It's a memory, a judgment, or a plan. I've got to remember to call my wa- plan. Mom seemed sad yesterday. I want memory, right? So, and when our minds are going like, or excuse me, our thoughts are going like this or we're judging feelings that we're having in our body, ah, that hurts. Well, yeah, it, sure, it may hurt, but really what it is is intensity that you've given a story to. Ah, that's pain, right? That's not that you don't have pain, but that you create then this, this spaciousness around whatever you might be feeling or whatever you might be thinking. And it allows for, it just allows for more room. And that's, like I was saying earlier, where compassion kind of comes from. Love, love is that spaciousness in between. That uh, George Harrison wrote about it in the first song on the second side of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. You know, within you and without you. It's all right there. You know, it's, it's all right here, right now. And actually, just to kind of keep following up here, there's another space that your mind can go. And that is when it stops. When you begin to recognize the space between the thoughts. What's that? That's the present moment. That's now. That's the now. You can put that anywhere. Yeah. That's, that's the present moment. And the present moment is always here.
0: Yeah. What I think your biggest contribution is, is right now to the adolescents who have a hard time tuning out because they're so tuned into everything. Mm. And I, what I've noticed coming over to America and all, the,
2: um, all those constant sensations that the, um,
0: the children and the teenagers, I see the young people not being able to handle quiet moments. They need to be entertained constantly. And um, I just wish you could teach the other teachers to express and give time for exactly what you're talking
1: about, music exercise, for example. Yeah, we we are a culture of too much. I like it. Mm -hmm. But... You know, it, I think having a, a bit of space around that can be something really magical. Uh, I, I appreciate what
2: you said. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. Actually, to piggyback on that, I'd be interested to know what the reaction of the other faculty is to you and um, your way of being and, and even in other educators. If you go to conferences, I mean, are people interested in how
1: you're approaching things and how it influences it's a really good question I, I don't know um i keep a very low profile uh i am in my classroom and then i'm home uh and it's not that i don't love my colleagues i really do but i, I have found that infinite smile has begun to take it's become kind of a new center of gravity and uh so as a result i, I think that I, I really try not to I, I don't. I don't make a big much noise about what I'm doing outside of Akalani's. When I'm not there, I really. Uh, I really try to be as, as. You know, when I'm at Akalani's, I want to be there, and I also think it creates kind of a. I think. I think it gets confusing for kids, when it, it's important for them to be able to look at me as the. You know, the authority in the front of the classroom, as opposed to you know somebody who's got. You know, who's an author and doing other stuff. It, I think it gets a little confusing for them. So I, I just, I don't know. I just try to keep a low profile.
0: <laughs> it's
1: funny. I don't think I ever would have said that. I'm don't. trying to get the, yeah. the school. The school
0: nurse loves it, the is my sister-in-law who's oh. teaching. She's great. Um, teaching kids their meditation and a lot of these same kinds of things. So um, she's a huge fan. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there was one Ruth, other. Ruth, I think. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, I feel so it's
2: just it's just such a simplistic question. There are two parts of it. The first part is do you are you able to detach yourself from, from an an attachment to material goods?
1: Yeah, but I love my Acura.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you view that as a detriment or a it's just. It's working against your spiritual oh. perfection? Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, the, the uh, I, uh, having grown up in this um, community and having parents who had, you know, really quite authentically good taste, I think in, in all sorts of different ways, um, my conditioning is such that I happen to like one of my big big things. I, I really like um, I really like red wine really good red wine. And of course, all my Buddhist, uh, you know, the Buddhist purists, like the people at the Zen Center, for instance, were like, oh, you know. And, and, you know, then the question was, well, is, is the Dharma not in the red wine? And they're like, yeah, I guess, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. What the problem is, am, do we attach to the red wine? Do we attach to the car? Do we attach to the size of our house? Um, what really matters to me is that uh, my daughter and my dog and my wife are near me. The rest of the stuff, window dressing. It's window dressing. And so I don't see it yet as a challenge to my spiritual practice.
2: Yeah.
0: I want to leave time for you to be able to sign yeah, and, sure. and uh, still be able to get home. So thank you so much. Thank you. you.
2: Thank you.